here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Because if we do not unite as one in heart and soul and mind and spirit, we will divide and people will not believe the message because if they can't see the reality in us and we're the ambassadors of God, how can we expect them to believe? It's when the church changes on the inside, when the church unifies, when the church has a unity with God and with one another, people's lives are going to be changed. Evangelism can be hard at times. And sometimes we wonder why our efforts in evangelism aren't paying greater dividends in terms of drawing people to Christ. Part of the problem can be our lack of unity as believers. When those around us see us fighting and in discord as Christians, the last thing they want to do is join us. In today's message, Pastor Ed challenges us to see unity as a necessary ingredient of our evangelism. Will you stand in unity with other believers for the sake of the gospel? Now here's Pastor Ed with part two of today's message entitled, United We Stand. What happens is when we hear the message and believe the message and embrace the message, immediately we have fellowship with one another. There is a camaraderie. There is a connection. There is a spiritual unity that happens. It's not only a theological unity. It is a supernatural unity. In John 17, 21, it says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There is something unexplainable about the Trinity. Something that you cannot understand. How can there be three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You can spend all your life trying to fathom it, but you can't. There should be something very unexplainable about our unity. When a person is born again, they are brought into the family of God. They are made part of the body of Christ, and there is a connection. You meet somebody, they may be a stranger, but you sense, you feel they're a Christian, and all of a sudden you feel a connection with them. You may have met them for the very first time. You may be in a foreign land, a foreign country, a different state. But all of a sudden there's this connection. Because there's a supernatural oneness that God has created in his church. And where to preserve it, where to keep it, where to guard it. That's what the Bible tells us. That oneness reflects the relationship that Jesus had to the Father. Jesus obeyed the Father completely and fully. Uh, the Father worked through Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, the works that I do is the Father doing in me. What happens is when we begin to get closer and closer to God, Christ is seen more and more in our lives. That's why Paul the Apostle could say, for me to live is Christ. There is a tremendous spiritual unity that happens when we're born again. You sit in this pew and beside you is someone maybe from another nation, from a different social economic standard, from a different educational background. It doesn't matter. There's a unity 
And how does that unity happen? It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle that happens in every born-again Christian's heart. And if you grieve or break that, you feel grieved inside. The Holy Spirit takes you to the woodshed and you know something's wrong. Every wall, every partition, every barrier has been broken down by the cross of Jesus Christ. There are no Jews. There are no Gentiles. There is no slave. There is no free. There is no woman. There is no man. What does he mean by that? He's saying that the distinctions as we stand before God, have been gone and obliterated. We're all God's people. We're all his children. And you sense that community and that unity. It's spiritual. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you, what does the word say? Must, must, If you've been washed in the blood, redeemed by God's grace, you've got to love people. If God's blood is flowing through you, if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you're going to mirror your relationship with God to others. What God does for you and in you, you wind up doing for others. You've met his grace, you've met his mercy, you've met his kindness, you've met his forgiveness, and you meet that out to others. There's that sense of unity and you begin loving one another. It's a supernatural unity, it's a glorious unity as well. It's theological. Here's the charisma, here's the message. The message that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. He's the only way to heaven. Here's the message that it's spiritual, that it's a miracle that God does in the life of a person. Here's the message. It's a glorious unity. In verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That's a difficult verse to interpret. What did Jesus mean by I have given them the glory that you've given me? In John's gospel... Some 50 times almost glory, glorious is used. It speaks of God's character, God's presence. It speaks of his splendor. It also has reference to Jesus revealing what God is like. In the very first miracle, in John chapter 2, verse 11, it says that he performed this miracle and this turning the water into wine, and the disciples saw his glory, and they believed. Glory is seen in the miraculous power of God. Glory is seen in the tenacious willingness to suffer for God's purposes. Peter was concerned about what his brother John, the apostle, what he was going to do. And Jesus corrects him. And Jesus says to Peter, in chapter 21, verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Notice that. Peter would glorify God. 
It would be decades before this would happen in Peter's life. But tradition tells us that Peter went to Rome. And there he was preaching and witnessing, establishing believers in their faith. And a persecution began to arise against the Roman Christians. They wanted Peter to escape. They didn't want to lose this apostle. And so they convinced Peter to leave the city as the persecution began to heat up. And as he was leaving, tradition says that he met Jesus at the gates of the city. It was perhaps a vision. And as he sees Jesus, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, I go to Rome to be crucified again. Peter understood what Jesus wanted of him. And Peter turned around, went back to Rome, continued to preach, and was eventually captured, sentenced to death, to crucifixion. And he says, I can't be crucified like my Lord. I'm not worthy. He said, allow me to be crucified upside down. And they granted his request. But Peter glorified God in his suffering, in his death. Jesus brought glory to God by going to the cross by doing the Father's will. He said, shortly before going to the cross, I will be glorified as I go to Calvary. And I'm paraphrasing the words. We glorify God through our sufferings when we hand them over to God. We glorify God through our deliverances when we hand them over to God. We glorify God through our lives when our lives are lived for God and God alone. See, when people see the glory of God, what happens is we're being brought into communion with God. We're being brought into oneness with God. Uh, we're going to see his glory in heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. And as we see his glory in heaven, we're going to be so awed by it. After 10,000 years, we won't be tired of it. We'll just see more of it. And our capacity to see it will be greater. And where that oneness will be a growing unity forever and ever with God. What happens when the church is one? They receive God's glory. They embrace it. They do his will. They set their heart to take up their cross and follow Jesus. The church is not a place to be amused. It's not a place to come and just have some type of entertainment. It's a place to worship God. It's a place to seek God. It's a place to glorify God. It's a place to serve God. When there is oneness, when there is unity, we begin to live out the one another's in Scripture. Love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, we begin to live corporately for each other. Let's not look for a battleground. Let's look for common ground. Let's not be divisive, but let's be unifiers. From 
earth, the heaven, we'll have our differences. But I'll tell you what keeps people out of the kingdom. Literally thousands and thousands of people in this general area have been kept out of the kingdom because congregants from various churches because they get out and they complain to their co-worker, they complain to their family, they murmur about this, complain about that. And what happens, the people say, why should I go to that church? Why should I be a Christian? Look at how they're so divided. Look at how they can't even agree on anything. The converse of what Jesus said is true as well. Jesus said, if you are one, what's going to happen? People are going to believe. And if we're divided, people are going to have a reason not to believe. To feed negativism in our own lives, in people's lives. You know what you wind up doing? You wind up saying, I want to reverse what God did. I'm going to reverse what he did. Holy Spirit, go back to heaven. Forget about Pentecost. Take the stone. You may as well take the stone and roll it back over the empty tomb. You could go to Calvary and take down the cross. Because if we do not unite as one in heart and soul and mind and spirit, we will divide and people will not believe the message because if they can't see the reality in us and we're the ambassadors of God, how can we expect them to believe? It's when the church changes on the inside, when the church unifies, when the church has a unity with God and with one another, people's lives are going to be changed. The impact of our unity, and quickly I'll go through these two points. In 723, high in them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We see the nature of the unity now, the impact of the unity. It's a demonstration of God's love. In verse 23, I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. People know when they're loved. People can feel it. They can sense it. The church of Jesus Christ should be a living illustration of what God the Father's love is like. The church of Jesus Christ should be a visible demonstration of the favor of God. When he said, the world will know that the Father loves you, people could come in here and say, you know, they have something different. They have something real. I could see God's love on them. I could see God's favor on them. I could see God's hand on them. Something is real in that place. Hey, it's no good talking about John 3.16. For God so loved the world. If we can't embody it and demonstrate it, it's clear. In John 13, 34 to 35, I read the scripture, I'll read it again. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this 
All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by your music. Not by your preaching. Not by your church building. Not by your programs. Not by the eloquence of your speakers. Not by tweaking this and tweaking that. And not by all of the... No, 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 no. Jesus said, by our love, they will know where his disciples... Love that is costly. Love that is sacrificial. Love that is willing to give up his life for one another. The early church had the testimony among the pagans. Oh, how they love one another. And lastly, the proclamation of God's love in verse 23 again. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. What a mystical union between the Father and the Son. What a wonderful unity that's there. And he said... When you have that type of unity, your proclamation will have power. See, it's not only the pulpit that proclaims, it's the pew that proclaims. We proclaim by the way we live out our lives. It's not only a message we preach, it's a life that we live. It's a demonstration that we have known and met God and our lives forever are changed. God calls us to live a life. It says, so that the world may believe. See, our lives are going to testify. How we live and how we walk and how we talk, it all demonstrates our relationship to God. This world is looking for something real, and they're going to see it if we live the life. If we talk the talk, it's good, but we need to walk the walk. We need to go further than talking to talk. We need to walk the walk and live out what Jesus said. Put to death self so that Christ can live. Love one another. It's not always easy, but you got to say, Lord, you commanded me. Your word tells me I'm going to do it. The church needs to be a place where the heart of God is felt and sensed. The heart of man, the scripture says, speaks to the heart of man. What's in your heart reaches someone else's heart. As God is so real to you and you're so in love with him. And don't tell me and don't tell anybody you're in love with God if you can't love your brother. That's what the Bible says. So as we love, we can proclaim John 3.16 with power. Because it's part of our experience. It's in the depth of our heart. It's in the very soul of our life. I came across a story that was, I thought, so, so moving. It's called Common Ground in the supermarket line. It was by Edward Ellis. Edward Ellis was a chaplain at Norfolk State University in Virginia. Two o'clock in the morning, he receives a phone call from one of the young, bright men in that fellowship at the university. And he says, I need your help. I've been arrested. This young man had been coming back from a Christian concert where he had been witnessing. He stopped at a supermarket, and he was in line. And as he was in line, he happened to have a 
soda and potato chips. And he just opened the potato chips. He was getting ready to pay, started eating. Immediately, someone came over and arrested him. And they said, they arrested him on the law of concealment. That law says that you can't eat anything before you pay for it. Now, I wasn't aware of that law. So this open supermarket had all this uh, food out there. They take him, and the Edward Ellis, the pastor, petitions the police department, goes down there and says, please let him out. Yeah, please drop the charges. He's a wonderful young man. And he doesn't. And they don't. So he sets, pays the bail. He releases and takes uh, this young man back with him. And so this man is meeting with a number of white pastors, Reverend Ellis, and he shares a story. And they're deeply grieved. And the next Sunday, he's preaching in the pulpit of an Anglo church. And as he preaches there, a group of women who have a prayer meeting hear. And they're so disturbed by it. They meet Monday at their prayer meeting. And they say, we're going to do something about it. They said, because, you know, we've been to that supermarket. And sometimes to keep our children quiet... Online, when it's long, we open those animal crackers or we open those chips and, you know, just feed them to try and keep them quiet. So these women went to the supermarket and they protested and they confessed. We've done the same thing. The regional manager was embarrassed. He called up and had all of the charges dropped, every single one of them. And he also sent a fruit basket to the, to the preacher. There are some things that are not going to happen unless we cross the racial barriers. There are some things that are not going to happen unless we cross the age barriers. There are some things that will not happen unless we cross the social economic barriers. Jesus prayed for unity. The church ought to lead the way because we know the unifier. The culture ought not be setting the marching drum for us. It ought to be the gospel of Jesus Christ that's in our hearts, that's changed our lives, that motivates us. God has given us, the Bible tells us, this ministry of reconciliation. Bringing people together. Bringing people together. Jesus said, I pray that they may be one. God, I don't like the way she looks. Jesus prayed, I pray that they may be one. I don't like the way they act in that place. They're not my type of people. Jesus prayed that they may be one. Do you hear the music that they use there? Jesus didn't pray for all those peripheral things. He prayed for the central thing, that our hearts would be knit together, arm with arm, heart and heart standing up for the truth 
and for righteousness. If you're listening today and you've recently placed your faith in Jesus, this has been a perfect message for you. The Gospel of John is one of the very best places in the whole of the Bible for new believers to begin studying. And it's not just for new believers either. For those of us who have walked with Jesus for some time, it's always a wonderful reminder of who we're following. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you'll find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith and to access an archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.